I very quickly realized that it was actually business owners who needed this the most. Because I, I personally believe that small business is the savior of our financial economy for the future and has holds the most opportunity to make a meaningful change in this world. That's why we run the think about it. Exactly. Yeah. Like we've got this amazing platform. We've we're the ability to be nimble. We've got the ability to create impact. We've got the ability to create jobs, to create freedom, to create opportunity. And the problem is that when business owners don't understand the language of money, the the opportunity cost that they are losing as a result of not capitalizing on all those great opportunities is far too significant to leave unresolved. So it's my, my mission to change the way that business owners globally understand how to use their business as a vehicle to create freedom for themselves and all of the people around. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. And they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have live on the line Jackson Milan. Jackson, are you there? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So I know you said you're calling in from uh, Australia, right? Yes, we're in uh, far north Queensland, which is on the east coast towards the uh, the pointy end. And we're in the tropics at about uh, 30 degrees here today, Celsius. Uh, so I think that's what, about 85, 86 Fahrenheit. Mm, and so it's, it's, uh, Very nice. It's warm. It's nice. A little bit warmer than where you're at. Yeah, yeah. And so for, for my audience who's been following around uh, my wife and I's travels, we're up in Bryce Canyon right now with the kids. And we got to uh, check off a bucket list item the other day and see Bryce Canyon covered in snow. So I'm wearing long sleeves and freezing to death. Um, <laughs> completely opposite of what you're doing. Um, so uh, what I want to do to just start is just do a brief uh, introduction um, here for your bio, and then we'll get into your story. So um, you are the director and chief dreamer at um, Aureus Financial. Did I say that right? Now, awesome. Okay. And you are the wealth mentor and you've spent the last 14 years helping service businesses understand the language of money and manufacture financial freedom for themselves and their families. Successfully helped over a thousand clients build an excess of 1.5 billion in combined wealth. That's B, billion with a B. Has scaled multiple seven-figure businesses and is master of helping business owners make money work for them and turn their business profit into personal wealth, which I run a service-based business called Push Button Podcasts. So I am definitely interested in probably everything you have to say today. Um, so why don't we start off with what it is that you're known for? Um, what's your business like? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Yeah, I'm probably known for making what's often perceived as being extremely complex and very confusing, very, very simple. 
Um, Because I'm a big believer that we've been sold this narrative that finance needs to be complicated. And to be fair, a lot of that has come from creating a reliance on the financial services industry in order to get certain financial outcomes. Um, And so many people have been conditioned that they need to hand over their money to a money manager and just expect that they're going to be able to to manage it effectively for them, which could be their entire life savings. Their retirement could depend on it. And I'm a big believer of shifting control back into the hands of everyday people, particularly business owners, to help them become great financial stewards and play an active role being in the driver's seat as they work towards financial freedom for themselves and their families. So I've been doing that for uh, a decade and a half now and uh, have loved every minute of it. So what you do is you're helping people take the revenue that they generate from their service business and turn that into essentially into wealth. Exactly. Yeah, there's really three things that we, we work through, Richard. The first thing is about helping business owners redefine their business as a vehicle instead of just being the destination. Because here's the thing, when we're entrepreneurs and we're running a business, our business is the be all and end all. It's like another child, right? Mm-hmm. And for that reason, it becomes reliant on us. Uh, we end up turning this thing into a cash eating monster. We end up reinvesting all of the profits. And in many cases, that's often an, an, a poor excuse for money mismanagement. And what we need to realize is that business is the best wealth creation vehicle that we can have, but that's only as good as our ability to define the destination of what financial freedom actually means. Because let's face it, most people don't know. So what we do is we work out what financial freedom means. We reverse engineer that into an action plan, and then we reposition the business as a vehicle to supercharge our trajectory to creating that financial freedom and systematically turning business profit into personal wealth. Okay. So let me give you my in my head definition of financial freedom and see how it lines up with what uh, what you teach. Mine personally is the number of days that I can go without working on or in my business um, while still maintaining my current lifestyle. And so like that's that like right now I'm working on making that those number of days longer and longer. We're about like two and a half, three weeks right now where I can step aside and just like go have fun with my family and like everything keeps going before stuff starts falling apart trying to get that to like six months to a year where I, you know, if I could leave for a year, come back to a bigger business, that's where I want to (laughs) be. I love that. I I think that's great. Um, And I think that's a a really great philosophy. So my definition of financial freedom, because if you ask it, 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 10 different people, you get 10 different answers. And I try and keep it really simple. The first thing is that we should own our home and have it paid off in full. Now, obviously when we're living, say a nomadic lifestyle, that's Owning a home is very attainable, right? Um, But if you're living in, say, a a blue chip area where property prices are a million dollars or more, it's a little bit harder to attain. So that obviously depends on on your measure of success and your yardstick there. But it's really important to own your home outright because then you have the freedom and flexibility to do what you want and not have to answer to a landlord. And it also drastically reduces your actual cost of living. Um, So provides us more surplus to do the fun stuff. The second part is that we need to have enough passive income outside of our business where we have the freedom and flexibility to choose what we do with that time. The main, main important point here is that for most entrepreneurs and business owners who love what they do, they don't want to retire. Like the idea of retirement is quitting something that you hate, that you can't sustain. Yeah. And the idea here is that it's either going to come because you've spent your life doing a career that you love or you burnt the candle at both ends for long enough that you're so fed up with what you do, or you're physically not able to do it anymore. And we don't want to get to any of those outcomes. So if we can have passive income and have the freedom to choose how we spend our time, then that's a really empowering position to be. Yeah. I think you probably like my, uh, one of my other philosophies too. I, my, 
um, when you, you know, you, you probably know more about this than I do, but you know, you have your, like the name of your business, but it's not the name that you publicly use. Um, yeah. um, so mine is called five freedoms. So it's like the, that's the LLC name and five freedoms is it's the, uh, the five freedoms that I'm working on, um, on like having, so they, they're, they're financial, it's financial freedom. Um, actually that's actually number three. So the first one is, uh, is spiritual freedom, um, political freedom, and then you have financial freedom, time freedom, and location freedom. And so those are the, the five that we look at. And there's a sixth one that's like a bonus. If you want to talk about it, it's health freedom, like have, and essentially in each of those categories, it's the freedom to, to choose what you want to do without the, that, that particular category being restriction. Right. So I love that, you know, the political freedom, like, you know, we have like the, the uh, first amendment rights here in the U S right. So you can, you can say what you want without regard, you know, the government coming and telling you what you can't do. Right. So that's a, a measure of political freedom and financial freedom is being able to choose what you spend your money on, like not, ha not having finances be the restriction restricted, the thing that's restricting you from making choices. And the, uh, the um, time freedom is being able to choose what to do with your time. Um, and location freedom is being able to choose where you spend that time. Um, so anyways, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly like I've got a friend of mine um, who runs a much larger and much more successful business than I do, who tells me regularly, he envies me and my lifestyle because he built himself a monster he can't get out of. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I chased financial freedom without any thought about the time freedom or the location freedom. And now my business has me tied in both on time and location. <laughs> and it's so common, isn't it? And I was listening to a podcast the other day and the fellow said, um, the killer of dreams and ambition is responsibility and yeah. the burden of responsibility. And this is the problem that when we are ambitious, we typically have a one dimensional view of success. It is typically a financial measure. Hey, I need to create a seven figure business or an eight figure business, or I need a hundred staff, or I need to list on the stock market. I need to do all of these things. And when we actually peel that back, a lot of that is ego based ambition. Mm -hmm. It is the pursuit of perceived extra. And then by the time you actually get there, because you haven't done the work in the first instance to kick the tires on it and look at it holistically, um, work out what we refer to as your triple bottom line. Um, well, I've, I've, I have a framework that I use, it's called the F4. And I use it for my measure of success of everything that I do to ensure that I don't have this one dimensional view that ends up leading me to a position where I have to compromise or dilute my values as a result of chasing that one thing. Um, and for me, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that everyone should create a lifestyle business. Because let's face it, most of us don't want to list on the stock market. We don't want hundreds of thousands of staff. We want freedom, right? We want the freedom to choose to do what we want with our time, not to be a slave to our business. And the, the only way we do that is that I use four measures of success, which is, aligns very closely with what you're talking about. My first one is that as a proper lifestyle business, you should be aiming to be, produce $400,000 or more a year in profit. Because I've been able to work out working with thousands of clients that $400,000 a year on average allows you to be able to live an abundant lifestyle with having basically no limitations and have a really healthy surplus where you can create wealth. Like there are very few people who earn more than $400,000 a year in income that have a better quality of life. Well, maybe you go from drinking a $50 bottle of wine to a $100 bottle of wine, or you go from flying in business to flying at the pointy end, right? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't make you any more happy. Second thing, you should create a business that allows you to work four days a week. Because if you can take a three-day weekend every single week, 
then you have enough time out of your business to recharge the batteries and come back in with, with fresh set of eyes. Third thing, you should be able to take eight weeks off a year. So 44 weeks a year, you should be able to work. So I take two weeks off a quarter and that allows me once again, to take time out, recharge the batteries, see what breaks in my business, be able to come back and fix it, and also be able to run the marathon, right? And then the fourth one is that we should be working towards $4 million in net wealth. Because conservatively, if we have $4 million in net wealth outside of our business in investment assets, that should produce us around $200,000 a year in passive income. So that gives you a choice. If you've got your home paid off and you've got $200,000 a year in passive income and you're not producing any profit from your business, let's say you exit your business, then you can live a really great existence. Or if you're still in your business, you've now got $600,000 a year that you can do some really cool stuff with. And so if we can achieve those four things, then I think we've got a pretty good existence and we've, we've epitomized the idea of a lifestyle business. So, so let me just make sure I've got, the, got those down because that was really cool. $400,000 in profit per yep. year. So that's, that's after expenses, like money that goes in the profit account. That's um, real cash. Yes. Four days a week instead of, you know, seven or nine days a week that most people that <laughs> entrepreneurs do <laughs> um, eight weeks off a year and then 4 million in assets. So exactly. You call it, you call it your four, four, what? We call it F4. F4. How did the eight yes. weeks a year fit into the F4? Because it was 44 weeks a year that you're working. 44 weeks. Um, a year. There we go. Yeah. So, uh, and the idea there is like, if you're a business owner, like let's say if you go and get a job and that's the benchmark, right? I'm a big believer in creating benchmarks that we would refer to as our risk-free rate of return benchmark, right? If you go and get a salary job, you're going to get, and, and in Australia, you get four weeks holidays. Sorry to rub it in. Now, those of you in the US who don't, um, but here we get four weeks as a, as a salaried employee and you get two weeks sick leave. So there's basically six weeks a year that you can access the paid time out of your work. So as a business owner, if you want, if you've got into business to create more freedom, why aren't you able to take more time than if you were an employee? That's so a, that's why we, really we need to have question. more upside. So, so first off, I think, that is probably one of the more brilliant things I've heard in a long time on my podcast, just because like, I'm always looking at like, I, I'm building a lifestyle business and I have like ideas of like what I want it to look like, but those are really concrete numbers. Um, and I can tell you like of those four, I have one of them down already. Um, so I'm working on the other three and that's the uh, four days a week. Um, and I remember, you know, and this is a topic I've talked about a lot on this podcast before is, um, Earlier in my entrepreneurial career, I was doing the whole like, you know, obviously if I want to make more money, I should just work more um, because if I work yeah. more, I'll make more. Um, and I found out that there there's significantly diminishing returns after about four days a week. Um, yeah. And, you know, I tried the whole, you know, let's work 120 hours a week and seven days a week. And, you know, what, what happens if you skip sleeping a few days a week just to put in more work? Um, you know, for those of you who are wondering, that makes you sick. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't do it. Um, and so, you know, you also miss out on the things that you actually want to live your life for, which is your, you know, your wife and your kids and the things that you're, you know, actually interested in. Um, and the, one of the first things that I started doing was like experimenting with limits, right? Cause creativity thrives with limits. So I was like, what if instead of, you know, 120 hours a week, I worked, you know, 80 hours a week or 60 or 40 hours a week, right. And moved it all the way down. And it's like, it gets to the point where you're like, okay, what, what if instead of, 
um, you know, working six days a week, I work five. What if I work five instead of four, instead of eight hours a day, I work six. Um, and so I go back five years ago, I was working like two full-time jobs just to get, make my business barely survive. And now I work on average four hours a day, four days a week. Um, and I run two different organizations on that time. Um, and both of them are significantly more profitable than anything I was doing five years ago. Um, so that one, it's I've an interesting got, paradigm shift, isn't it? Richard? Yeah. And you talk in my language, like to give you guys a, a little bit of backstory, I've always had the benefit of being able to observe what not to do. And, and I, I observed that from my parents. My parents were incredibly hard workers. They were both business owners. My mum was a hairdresser. And my dad was a tradesperson and he jumped around from lots of different trade businesses, but never really stuck to anything long enough. But what both of them had in common is they worked incredibly hard. Like I watched them work 16 hour days, seven days a week as, for as long as I could remember. And they always kept repeating, Jackson, if you want to be successful in this world, you need to work hard for it. Like those very traditional, hardworking, working class values, right? But as a curious kid, I always had this thought, like there's something wrong here because they were working for money as opposed to money working for them. Yeah. And my old man got caught up in this 40-20 trap. Like he'd always say, hey, I'm work really hard now and I'm going to retire at 65 and then I'm going to enjoy my golden years. Um, and it's like, like you work 40 years, you retire at 65 and you enjoy 20 if you're lucky and then you're dead. Um, it just doesn't sound like a good trade-off to me in terms of risk versus return, but that was his choice. Now, Completely we agree. fast forward to 2017, my old man was 66. So he should have been one year after living the dream, after working his entire life, seven days a week, 16 hours a day. But he was diagnosed with late-stage pancreatic cancer and he was given weeks to live. Now, as he lay there in hospital, um, frail, fragile, clinging to life. And he looked back on his life and he regretted a lot of things. And he gave me one last piece of advice. He said, Jackson, every person in this world has two lives. And your second life starts when you realize that you only have one. That's and good. he died shortly thereafter. Now, that allowed me the opportunity to, for my second life to start on that day. And since then, I've been focusing on the principle of Parkinson's law. Because as human beings, we use the means that we have available. I think back to school, right? You had an eight-week project. When did you start it? Um, so for like when I started projects? Yeah. Did you start it the, the night before or the week before? Or did you start it on the, on the first week of the eight weeks? So I, I generally, um, what, the way I approached school, because I was kind of crazy um, and I, we were in advanced preparatory school was okay. they gave us like our college, they gave you the whole curriculum at the beginning. Like, here's what we're going to be doing. Here's all the point things. And I was like, that one, that one, and that one make up 80% of the grade. I'll do those three. I'll do them right now and take, and take the whole rest of the year off and do nothing. And my friends were mad at me because they were no, like, we worked our asses smart. off. That's very like, smart. I wish I was like that, but. I've come to realize that I have ADHD. So I leave everything to the last minute, right? Uh, I'd be the person who does an all-nighter the night before to finish the assignment. But what I realized that if my teacher told me to do that in two weeks, I still would have got it done. I just would have started it the night before the two weeks was up. Mm -hmm. So I've applied that principle to everything that I do, how I run my business. And it's about limiting the resources that are available, both time and money, yeah. and it's making the most of those means. And 
that's what's allowed me to get my business to a point where at age 33, I've got a, a multi-million dollar business. I've got a team of 25. And last year, we spent a year traveling around Australia where the, where the team was basically running the business for me. And I've got the ability to do the things that I want to do. And further to that, we've been able to buy our dream home, which we've now turned into an animal sanctuary. And because my big passion is, is animals and, and saving animals. And the idea is that you can create financial freedom now. It's not something we need to defer 20, 30, 40 years into the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I love where you're going here. I want to talk a little bit more about your origin story and how you actually got your financial company started here, right? And, every, you know, we saw, you know, every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. Um, yeah. And we want to hear that story. Were you, you know, bit by, a, um, bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to uh, become an entrepreneur? <laughs> or did you start in a job and, you know, eventually start your second life later? Um, basically, where did you come from? I'll tell you what's really interesting. When I look back on my life, I've always been an entrepreneur. But in like many stages of my life, I've always been the last person to realize it. And I, I remember that when I was four years old, I was in the front yard of one of my mum's friend's places playing with, uh, with these two daughters. And I had this brilliant idea. And I filled all of my, this little pool cart with all of my toys. We picked some flowers. And then we started going door to door selling at four years old. I don't know how long we were gone for, but all I remember is that hours later, we're starting to get dark and then a police squad car rocked up as I just finished closing a sale. And my mum jumps out of the back in this long, white, flowing maxi dress in hysterics, thinking that I'd been kidnapped and abducted and something bad had happened to me. And I couldn't even fathom that I'd done anything wrong because I'm like, hey, look at all this money that I've made. And that was my first entrepreneurial moment looking back. But it was actually quite late into my career that I actually started my own business because one of the biggest challenges that I had throughout a lot of my life was self-limiting beliefs. When I started my career in finance, I was training to be a financial advisor because I wanted to help people like my parents. Uh, I wanted to teach them how to make better money decisions because no one makes bad decisions on purpose. You choose the best option on life's menu. The problem is they just didn't have enough good options on their menu. So they chose the best they had. So as I started training to become a financial advisor, I very quickly became disheartened because I realized that financial advisors typically only wanted to do two things. They wanted to manage people's money who are already wealthy to make them wealthier. And they wanted to sell commission-based products to people like my parents who didn't need them. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not what I want to be. So I asked myself the question, well, if I was going to been the term financial advisor and create a role that I would be passionate about, that would align with my values, that would allow me to fulfill my purpose, what would that look like? And I started calling myself a wealth coach. And I started focusing on teaching people the language of money, helping them understand how to design their own roadmap, teaching them the strategies, the tactics, the mindset, helping them build what we call money muscle memory through a repetitive, ongoing, iterative financial action plan that allowed them to take action, review, optimize, improve, and course correct over time, focusing on progress over perfection. And then I very quickly realized that it was actually business owners who needed this the most. Because I, I personally believe that small business is the savior of our financial economy for the future and has holds the most opportunity to make a meaningful change in this world. That's why we run this think podcast. about it. Exactly. Yeah. Like we've got this amazing platform. We've we're at the ability to be nimble. 
We've got the ability to create impact. We've got the ability to create jobs, to create freedom, to create opportunity. And the problem is that when business owners don't understand the language of money, the, the opportunity cost that they are losing as a result of not capitalizing on all those great opportunities is far too significant to leave unresolved. So it's my, my mission to change the way that business owners globally understand how to use their business as a vehicle to create freedom for themselves and all of the people around. Absolutely. I, I love that. Um, so over the course of building this career as a wealth coach, um, I want to find out how you sort of found your superpowers, so to speak, right? Every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's their fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky um, or, you know, super strength. In the real world, heroes have what I have, what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with, or you developed over your career that allow you to slay the villains in your client's life, so to speak, help them come out on top of their own journeys. And the way I like to like sort of frame that is if you look at all the skills that you've developed, there's probably a common thread that ties all those skills together. And that common thread is where your superpower is found. So over the course of building the career you've built in, as a wealth coach, what do you think your superpower is? I think the biggest superpower that I have is helping people define that real financial North Star and creating this three-dimensional wealth plan. Um, because this is the problem. The vast majority of people, when it comes to creating wealth, chase the vehicle instead of the destination. Like the, the question that I still get asked the most is, Jackson, should I be buying property? Should I be buying shares? Should I be getting into crypto? Um, what should I be doing with my money? And it's like going to a travel agent and saying, uh, hey, um, I want to go traveling. Um, should I fly? Or oh, I've heard it's nice to catch a boat this time of year, or maybe I should drive around the countryside. Like, what's the travel agent going to ask you? Where are you trying to go? And the problem is that most people have never been taught how to goal set and create a financial game plan properly. And that's because most of their goals are actually not goals, they're dreams, because they're superficial, they're unquantified, they're wishy-washy, they're gray. And you can't plan with an unclarified plan. So we help them clarify that North Star and reverse engineer it backwards. And that's, that's my superpower. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I, I think you probably have this far more developed than I do. But um, I know uh, going back 10 years ago, everything that my wife and I put down on are like what we wanted to do. Um, we've accomplished and we've had to start redoing, redoing things. Um, and I, I realized along the way, um, like one of those things was like, I had, I had a financial goal, right? I want to make this much money. And about 60% of the way to that goal, I realized I didn't care about that money because I, it was other things that I had more interest in in. And when I started focusing more on the, the, those other values, I actually surpassed, surpassed that income goal. Um, which is, which is interesting because I was focused on, you know, like I'm, I need to create this much money and like, but you don't, you don't really have like a heart reason for that, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, what are the three dimensions in a three-dimensional wealth plan? Yeah, so I've had a very similar discovery. So earlier on in my career, obviously being in the financial space, you're kind of expected to get your financial shit in order. And, uh, and a lot of my colleagues and friends were really motivated by achieving their financial goals, buying investment properties, trading in the share market, doing all of these things. And like, they were super excited, super passionate about it. And I tried to run their race, but it never worked for me. And I could always felt like I was pushing my, my wealth journey up a hill. 
And it was only when I discovered that the, I wasn't financially motivated, which might come as a surprise. Okay, you're a finance guy, you've built 1.5 billion in wealth for your clients. How are you not financially motivated? Well, it's not the currency that I choose to, to pursue. My measure of success is lifestyle and the quality of my existence. So what that required for me to do is to actually define what I wanted my lifestyle to look like, all of the key milestones, and then work out what is the financial means that I need to have available in order to create that lifestyle for myself. And when I was able to do that, it was like a light bulb moment. It just clicked. So a good three-dimensional plan requires you to do a couple of things. One, it requires you to define the difference between your lifestyle goals, qualitative goals, holidays, experiences, free time, hobbies, interests, cars, boats, anything else that brings quality to your existence is a lifestyle goal. And your financial goals. What are the quantitative goals? The house you want to live in, when you want your home to be paid off, uh, the property portfolio you want to build, the passive income that you want to produce, um, setting your kids up to get into the property market, all these things. Second part is we need to map this out over 20 years. Because the important thing here is that it's been proven from behavioral finance principles that the fear of loss is twice as significant as the potential of gain. And if we understand that for all people, when it comes to making a decision, taking action on something, we need to consider the significance of your motivation and your perceived difficulty of that action. Mm -hmm. So when you're highly motivated and you see something as low difficulty, it is presupposed that you will go through with the, with the action. However, if the opposite is true, you see something as low motivation and you see it as high difficulty, you're never going to do it. Yeah. So what we need to do is we need to map out your goals and aspirations, lifestyle and financial far enough into the future that you can understand the repercussions of the compounding of your seemingly insignificant short-term decisions. Because one decision today, if compounded over 20 years, could have huge magnitudes of impact. And then the third thing, we need to reverse engineer all of those goals, dreams, and aspirations, lifestyle, and financial over 20 years into a tangible action plan of metrics and milestones that you can actually influence. You cannot control what the property market or the share market does. You can, cannot control inflation. You cannot control unemployment. What you can control is your activity in your business and in turn, the profit that you can create. It's probably the, the most tangible thing that you can control. You can control how much income you take from your business and what you choose to do with it. And you can choose how much you are prepared to allocate to your future planning. And those are the things that we focus on. Understand the things that you cannot influence and, and focus your time and attention on the things that you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I know. Um, so like I, I have never done the 20 year part of that which is probably where my biggest mistakes are. Um, but I know like the, the difference between the lifestyle goals and the financial goals is really, I mean, reverse engineering are the things that have allowed me to achieve so much of what I've wanted to do in my life. Um, and I was like, I know like we're traveling the country right now, which I mentioned earlier, um, we'll, we'll be five years in, in May, which is, you know, a couple of weeks from now, depending on when, the, when this, um, when this airs. And at the end of the summer, we'll have seen all of the lower 48 of the U S um, in five years, which is cool. And so like That's our next awesome. plan, our next plan is like, well, what do we want to do next? We're looking at, like, we want to sail port to port around the world. 
Um, and so we're looking at like the sailboat that we want to purchase and how we're going to learn to sail and doing the retrofit and all of that. And so like, I've, I've got the, like how much it's going to cost for that and how long it's going to take to do these things. And like, so some like lifestyle things that we could do to like learn some of the sailing stuff. I'm um, like all that stuff. I'm just sort of reverse engineered it and then put it down into like, I know how much money we make per client on profit and how many clients I need to put into my business between now and then and what my close ratio needs to be on a monthly basis in order to hit that goal in like a two-year plan. So like, I've got that part down, but what I yeah. don't have and what I think is really interesting is like how to push that forward into 20 years. And I think part of that is I never really thought about the, like your, 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 the four things you talked about earlier, the 400K, four days a week, 44 weeks a year, 4 million in assets. Um, Cause that's, it's just further along. And we've been more focused on like what, you know, the, the shorter, fi you know, five-year goals of like, hey, let's travel the country for five years and maybe let's sail the world and like those kind of things, like really living life. Um, so it's, it's just fascinating to sort of see how you're putting those together. Yeah, and it's about the constant evolution, right? And look, I think what you've done is fantastic. Um, and it's just about having those optics of that longer term because it just helps us look at things from a broader standpoint and make sure that we don't ever find ourselves in a position where we've achieved something, but because we've overlooked something that was that comes out of the periphery we then are forced to make a scarcity based decision because we just don't have enough financial means to do everything and i'm a big believer in as a business owner we should be able to have our cake and eat it too yeah and there is a reason why all of the people on in, on the rich list are all entrepreneurs and well, the vast majority of them anyway and because we're in an elite club of people who have the ability to control their own destiny so seize control of it. Get in the bloody driver's seat. Uh, learn how to drive um, or learn how to sail and, uh, and guide yourself where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, I only have, have one caveat to that. Um, and because you mentioned, you mentioned uh, like a lot of people are uh, not, they won't always like get in the driver's seat and actually take what they want to want to take because they're, they're looking at, they'll make a scarcity based decision. Um, and I have found that sometimes um, the abundant decision, like I'll just give a, a real practical example. Um, we bought this RV and the, um, the, when we first started, we bought a, we bought, let me back it up. We, we bought a really inexpensive RV that we could just pay cash for. Um, and that had some issues and other things. Cause I was like, let's just test it out and see how it fits before we go and put in the money and the resources and other things, um, into something that would that, that's like long-term useful <laughs> um and i think that's that's something that i think more more people should do is like yeah take action and test like test the lifestyle things that you want to do and if you like them go for it um instead of like waiting until like until i can afford the you know in this case a million dollar rv or whatever right <laughs> like yeah like don't wait for it just just do something and take action and move forward with your goals. And cause you'll, you know, you might find you don't actually like it or you don't actually want those things. And sometimes it's just the, uh, the desire to, what do you call it? The journey to get something is more exciting than actually having it. Um, 100%. <laughs> I think there's a good philosophy. My old man taught me about this. Cause like there's, there's many people in, in the trade space and this was in the context of tools, but I think this is universally applicable is that if you want to get, if you want to build like a, a tool set, you always buy your best tools. Um, because if you buy good tools, they last forever. But my old man said to me, he's like, well, well, there's no point spending all of your money and only having a small amount of tools. If you're going to buy a new tool, buy the cheapest one. And if you're using it enough for it to break, then you buy the really good quality one. 
and, yeah. and it's a very similar example. You buy the, 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 the budget RV, you try it out and actually choose that you enjoy the lifestyle. And then once you realize that it's going to be a cash eating monster, you then upgrade to the, the, the upper echelon one and you get the good one. Uh, because you're right, there's so many people that the, the, the idea, the, 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 the romanticized view of what it is that they want is far more gratifying than actually buying the thing. And the last thing we want to do is commit uh, these excessive financial means to things that actually don't get us any closer to what we want. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's such an interesting thing. Cause like I, I have just because of the lifestyle we live, we get a lot of questions. A lot, I get a comment a lot about people like, Oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. And I always like I used to earlier in my in, in our traveling career be like, so why aren't you doing it? And then I've realized over the long term that they're not actually saying they wish they could do what I do. What they're saying is I appreciate that you have grabbed life by the horns and are doing what you want to do. And I wish I could do that as well, yeah, um, yeah. which which is interesting because I think I think a lot of that comes down to like people aren't doing this work. Right. They don't actually know what they want out of life, so they don't know how to get to it. You're exactly right. And I had the same thing, like when we were traveling around Australia in a four-wheel drive and, and uh, going to some of the remotest parts of Australia, and they're like, how are you doing this whilst you're running a business at the same time? And it was, it was famously said by Confucius, he who said he can and he who said he can't are both right. Your life will become a self-fulfilling prophecy to reinforce your own narrative of the world. Yeah. If you can say to yourself, hey, I can get my business to a point where it gives me the freedom and flexibility to live in an RV and travel around for five years with my family. Or, hey, I can create a business that allows me to earn 400K a year in profit or work four days a week or 44 weeks a year or produce enough surplus means that I can build $4 million in net wealth in the next seven years, right? And then you will already set your focus on the direction of where you want to go. But if you start telling yourself, oh, I can't do that, little old me, I could never get to that level. I'll never be as free or uh, as fulfilled as that person. Um, my circumstance is different. And um, that's the, going to be the reality of your situation. I've seen it time and time again. Absolutely. So I want to flip the uh, flip the coin here. We talked a little bit about superpowers and the idea of, of using your superpowers to help people develop these three-dimensional wealth pan plans. The, the flip side of your superpower is, of course, the fatal flaw. Right. Yes. And just like every Superman has their kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. Probably something that's held you back in your business, something that has that you struggled with. For me, I struggled with a couple of things. I've talked about a few of them already, but like I, I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, which essentially mean that I would, you know, I, I wouldn't ship product because I could always speak a little bit more and then you don't make any money, which is, you know, perfection is a really low standard when you learn, learn how to uh, <laughs> um learn how that actually works. And the other one was like the lack of self-care, which I talked about. And I had really poor boundaries with my time with work and I had poor boundaries with my clients, which means I let them walk all over me and that kind of stuff. Um, and learning how to, to really take care of myself was something that I had to, uh, had to, to change in my business to grow. Um, so I think more important than whatever your flaw is, is how have you worked to overcome it so that you could continue to grow your business? Yeah, my real superpower is having ADHD, like being neurodivergent uh, allows me to fulfill that that super and look at things in different ways, which has allowed us to build our philosophy. But the kind of Achilles heel to that, the kryptonite to that is that being neurodivergent and having ADHD is that I hate getting bogged down in details. Um, there is like this physical feeling in my chest when I come up against the details or the things that I don't enjoy or the things that I find repetitive and boring that essentially holds me back from like pushing through with that activity or that action. Um, and 
I've done a lot of personal development around this uh, to get a deep understanding of what makes me tick, what goes with the grain and what goes against the grain. And one of the most powerful things that helped me discover that was a, 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 a tool called Colby A. I'm not sure if you've come across it before. Okay, so Colby A is like a, a psychometric test, but it gives you four numbers. And the first number is fact find. How good are you at extracting information from people? Second thing is follow through. How good are you at following through with things that you start and getting them finished? The third thing is quick start. How quick are you to pick up new ideas and just run with them? And then the fourth one is implementation. When you've got an idea and you build it out, how good are you at being able to implement it or get other people to implement it? So I'm a three, three, nine, five. Low fact find, low follow through, high quick start and intermediate implementer. Now, what I needed to do to complement my superpowers and counteract my kryptonite is my business partner is the exact opposite to me. Um, he is the, the yin to my yang. Um, and he's, he's basically very operationally driven. He hates starting new things. Um, he's a, got really, really high follow through. And basically, I'm the crazy guy who comes up with the ideas. That's why I'm the chief dreamer. And he's the one that basically cleans up after my mess. And uh, we're, we're lucky we've also got a team of 25 behind us that, uh, that also cleans up after my mess once I start things. So um, you've got to surround yourself with the right people. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. You mentioned, you, you know, your neurodivergent ADHD gives you like superpowers. And like I, one of mine is, is uh, my, my superpower is on the, uh, the figuring out the systems behind things. And like what's interesting to me is like I have... I have low follow through because of that. And um, just based on the way you were describing that, that test, because like what I really like to do is like, I really like to figure out the systems and solve the problem and then develop the thing. And then what I like, once I've solved it, then I just, I don't care anymore at all. Like, so like, like, like I've, I've all like, even it's like, I've figured out what the problem is. Like, I don't even care to help you solve it anymore. Like I figured it out. It's done. Like, I don't care anymore. So like, yep. I have to have people on the other side are like, okay, here's the solution. Can you go and like do the implementation of this and make it actually happen? Because like, that's, that's just not where I'm at. I'm like, I'm, I'm over here. That's where I need to be is like looking at the problems and figuring out the systems and solving the, solving the things. Now that's so important. You've got to, like, there's so many people that go through life and, and go through their business without understanding their intrinsic strengths and weaknesses. And it's like you're, you're flying blind and because everyone has these superpowers and everyone has kryptonite. And you shouldn't have to feel like you're pushing things up a hill uh, against the grain to do things that you're not good at. Sure, there's certain points in time in your business where you just need to sack up and, and do the bloody work. Um, but when you get to a certain point of scale, you trade time for money. So you have enough money so you can buy back your time. And then you get to a point where you can start trading money for money and really creating generational wealth. And, and it, it's so empowering to be at a position where you've got enough money where you can buy back your time and outsource what I call the shit jobs. And so other people who see them as their, their zone of genius can do them justice, do them well. Yeah. And I, I, I think one of the things that like I struggled with early on and I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is how you make those transitions from the trading your time for money to using the money to buy back your time to using money to buy money. And I know like for me, it was a really hard transition to actually start taking the money I was making and hiring other people, 
right? Because um, I was like, but I like, I, you know, it, it's interesting, like you, you make money, and your income gets up to here. And you're like, if I hire someone else, my income drops right down to over here. <laughs> but it also you're using that to buy back your time. Um, and I remember a very poignant conversation with a business mentor of mine who I was like, I was, we were at an event together and we were going over a whole bunch of stuff in our business. And he pulled me aside and he was like, Hey, the thing that I want you to do when you leave here is go back home and hire this person in your company to do these things. Um, and I remember looking at him and being like, I can't do that. I can't afford that. Um, and he was like, he was like, essentially he was like, shut up with that shit. Um, and he's like, just do it. And he was like, you won't understand it or understand how you can afford that person until you commit to it and actually hire them. And I vacillated on that for like three months. And then I finally like bit the bullet and hired that person. And within the first month, they paid for their whole salary. And then I was like, because your perspective shifts. And I couldn't see it from his perspective until I was on the other side. Um, And so it's, it's really interesting to learn, like, when are you supposed to make those decisions in your business? I look at it a couple of things. So uh, the first thing that we need to do is the first problem that business owners make is they're probably not charging enough to be able to hire people to outsource their time. They're devaluing themselves because of the self-limiting beliefs of what they feel they're worth. So the number one lever that business owners need to pull is charge more, charge what you're worth, create enough margin in your business where you can comfortably afford to, to hire people. And um, because the reality is even, let's say you're a superstar, you're hundred percent all of the time. But if you've got two people that are at 80%, they're still better than you. Yeah. So this is, this is the important thing. The next thing is that you need to put a real value on your time. So we created a tool that we use with our clients because we believe time is the most valuable currency. It's the only one that we can't get back once it's gone. Mm-hmm. So we go through an exercise called the time-sucking monster, where we basically work out based on how much you want to earn or how much you're paying yourself from your business, the amount of hours you work a week, the weeks you work per year, what is every hour of your working day worth? And what is every hour of your life worth? And this allows us to create a lens where we can decide to delete, get rid of just tasks that are just not worth doing and order through automations and systems, delegate, outsource them to a lower cost resource that allows you to buy back your time or dominate, identify the activity that is actually going to push the needle forward in your business because most people are only spending 20% of their time there to get 80% of the outcome, right? Imagine if you were able to take that 20% time investment to 40%, then you're going to almost double your result. So, so if I heard you correctly, delete, delegate, or dominate? Correct. That's good. The, the three Ds of like how to look at your, uh, what you're spending your time on. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that's, that's a really interesting way to sort of to think through what you have to do. Um, and I know um, for me, it was really learning how to do the delegation process yeah. um, and figuring out like what, for me, like I mentioned earlier, like once I figured out sort of what my superpower was, which was in the systems build and design, it's like, let me just dominate that and build really, really good systems that delegate all of the tasks to the right people. Um, and that's allowed us to really streamline, streamline my business. Um, so, yeah. And I think the most important part here is that as a business owner, you're often always the biggest bottleneck. And I can't say that I'm, I'm not a bottleneck at all. Um, but I, I try and improve it every day. Um, and the reality is you cannot scale if everything is in your head. And I'm not great at building systems, right? Once again, it's in the details. I find it boring. My business partner is very good at it, but what I got into the habit of doing is unpacking one piece of intellectual property a day. Like if you're doing something, record a loom video, 
And um, if it's if you're not in front of a computer or let's say you run a trade business or whatever and it's on site, set up a tripod and put your phone there and just record yourself doing it. Like just capture the IP. Even if you don't have staff, go and create a catalog of videos and trainings because it's not going to take you any longer. In actual fact, talking through what you're doing is probably going to get you better at doing it. You're going to say, ah, actually, I could probably do that piece better. And then it's going to create this catalog of this great intellectual property that when you do hire somebody, you can say, hey, cool, go watch these 20, 30, 40, 50 videos. If you've got any questions, come back to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, have a, I have a whole course process that I go, I call it push button process on how to build systems. Because like I said, that's my superpower. But yeah. my, my one caveat to that on recording your looms is take the time at the beginning of the process to explain why you're doing it the way you're doing it. Um, because if you if you put that in there, it'll it when you start actually hiring people, and they're not just learning what to do, but they're learning why it's being done. It helps them to be able to ask and answer smarter questions about your processes. And I've noticed the more I do that, the more my staff will get really take ownership of the processes, and be because they understand why it's being done, they can see the inefficiencies when they're doing it on a daily basis and come back to me or to other people on the team, be like, "Hey, we can improve it this way," because they understand the why. So that's my one caveat to that. I love that. Yeah, and it just goes to show when, when you need to work with an expert on this stuff. The way I look at it is that. We talk to our clients about this, but we don't teach them about it because it's not inside our wheelhouse. But the aim here is that this is how we build a truly valuable and saleable business. Because let's face it, not every business can be sold. But the, the vast ma- <laughs> yeah, but the vast majority of business owners, they do want to sell their business. Like if you had the choice between just walking away from your business with zero dollars or selling it at a multiple of profit, what would you choose? You'd want to try and sell it, right? Obviously, and, sell it. Yeah. And, and but we've got to put ourselves in the shoes of a buyer. What does a buyer want? A buyer doesn't want to buy a job for themselves. They want to buy profits. They want passive income. Sure, they also want to be able to have strategic upside potentially, but they're not going to pay you for that. And that's going to be what they're going to manufacture after the sale. What they will pay you for is typically a multiple of EBITDA, your earnings before interest tax, depreciation, and amortization. So it's about understanding what your real tangible earnings are in your business and reducing key person risk. Because if you can remove yourself from your business, so for example, in your case, Richard, if you could spend a year out of your business and the business continues to grow, that's an immensely valuable business, particularly if it's profitable at the same time. And that's going to get a, demand a much higher multiple of earnings than say a business that's a one man or one woman band um, that they're just trading time for money which is probably worth nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's like, I, I just went through the process of trying to buy a business, buy out a business from a, a friend of mine. And so we looked at the whole EBITDA thing. And then the other one we looked at was uh, seller's discretionary income. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Which is the, because uh, um, they'll, they'll, they'll either value business on one or the other. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was just interesting because I didn't, I didn't know any of that. And I also learned that like, if you don't do your accounting properly for your business, there's like, there's accounting for, I want to pull money out of my business and use it as lifestyle. And there's accounting for, I want to have value in the business so I can sell it. Uh, And those are two very different things, which I didn't know before I actually went through the process with someone. Yeah. We've seen so many people cook the value of their business just because they're running their business like it's a, 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 an, an ATM. And the thing that we do, another lens that I view my business is that when I'm making a decision, I ask myself, if I was the CEO of a publicly listed company, would I get away with this? Or would shareholders be 
but they up but would they uproar and they'd be really pissed off and one of the things that we do is that every single month we do an intrinsic business valuation and we review the numbers and we look at what's happened in terms of how have our decisions played out and impacted the rolling value of the business so the business is always ready for sale because we have no intention to sell it but for most business owners you don't want to sell your business until one day you do and for the vast majority of people it's not ready for sale yeah and and come to find out like the business is not ready for sale and it won't be for about 3 years exactly right because it's a of, long time yeah because of where they've been with the accounting and like you know like they that means they have to push the retirement off 3 more years but exactly. they'll be able to put the business in the financial position where they want it to be to sell it at that point. But again, it's because they didn't know, right? <laughs> and that's exactly. a, like it's a knowledge gap. So exactly right. And look, that's assuming that you have the choice of when you want to sell your business, and that's not always the case. Um, so God forbid, if there's a health event for you or your significant other, sometimes you're forced to have to sell the business for fire sale, or sometimes you're going to walk away. So start working yeah. on building value into your business now. I have a, a very dark metaphor in my head for that. I call that the, uh, um, the, the bus, the bus incident. Like, is, is your business ready for you to get hit by a bus? Yeah. Um, and like, would it survive? And, and it's like, I, I know like my business isn't at that point. And I know what I need to do in my business to get it to that point. <laughs> but like, that's sort of like the thing in my head is like, what happens if I get hit by a bus? And like, I, 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 I use that metaphor a lot with my clients when like we do specific setups in their business for specific things. They're like, why are you doing it that way? I'm like, because if I do it this way and I get hit by a bus tomorrow, you haven't lost anything. And they're like, oh, I never would have thought about it that way. But it's like, it's just, it's just a thing that I think about all the time. I was like, I can't I like have that. what we're doing be dependent on me. Um, like I, I, it, it just, it sits wrong with me if I do something in my business for you, like as a service, that if I'm not here tomorrow, it hurts your business. <laughs> yeah so anyways that's that's just one of my like internal philosophies on it's a similar kind of things just making sure it's ready to go that's it love it yeah so i want to talk flip flip gears and talk a little bit about your common enemy and this is something i want to put in the context of your clients that you actually work with and you know every superhero has an arch nemesis right it's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world right in the world of business it takes on a lot of forms but generally we're looking at a mindset um, that your clients or a flaw that your clients have that you constantly have to fight with in order to actually get them the result that they came to you for. Um, right. And if you had your magic wand and as soon as they sign on the dotted line, you could just bop them on the head and not have to deal with that common enemy more. What is that for you? Yeah. The common enemy is the, the traditional financial services industry, right? And for decades, really since modern financial systems have existed, the banking and financial services industry has taught consumers that they should be abdicating financial responsibility to so-called fiduciaries who can manage their money professionally better than they ever could, which is complete and utter bullshit. Um, this is the reason why so many people have been caught by sharks in, on Wall Street and have lost huge amounts of money and have got caught up in financial fraud matters is because one, they didn't understand their money before they abdicated responsibility. Two, they put blind faith and trust into somebody just because of they, why they presented, not on their real true underlying merit. And three, that they believed that somebody else was going to love and care for their money more than they ever would, which is yeah. never going to happen. So what my mission is, is to shift this mindset to get people out of abdicating responsibility for their financial future, helping them learn the language of money so they can make decisions for themselves 
And then if they then so choose to outsource certain parts of their money management, they're doing so from a position of abundance themselves. They understand how it works. They know how to hold somebody to a higher standard. They can sniff out a rat when, when they see one in the majority of cases. And to be fair, nine out of 10 of our clients just ends up managing their money for themselves and not needing a fiduciary, yeah. a financial advisor, or a money manager because they know what they're doing. Yeah, and what's what's interesting, I had I had a an experience with a financial manager when I was working for a big company. Um, I was like director of marketing over there, and like they pulled everyone in, like, hey, we're bringing in a new financial manager, and they're we're gonna offer some new services. Um, and I remember very distinctly, um, he said he was like, we're we're offering, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna get into the products or whatever, but he was like, we're gonna offer these products, um, and they're good for you for this reason. And I remember looking at him because he, he said he said something that just sat really poorly with me he was like you're going to get to a point in your life where you're going to earn less than you do now so you want to plan for that and I was like it's like that why would I want to plan on being poorer um, and then set up financial financial things that are literally like planning my life to be poorer um, and I remember raising my hand and asking him that question like point blank and he was like well because that's what most people do and I was like that doesn't like, it, I, why would you do that? Um, and, and essentially, and then I brought up to him, I was like, so what you're doing is you're, t you're selling everyone in this room saying, hey, you should, um, should not pay taxes now on your seed money so that you can pay taxes later on your harvest when there are options to pay your taxes now and grow your harvest tax-free and pull out of it tax-free. Why would you not take that second option? And he looked at me and he was like, I don't know if I can help you. And I was like, probably not. So I didn't do anything with them. But um, exactly. it seemed to me like, it, you know, to your point, he's like, like a shark preying on all these people who don't actually understand how finances work. Exactly. And it's not that hard, guys. Like, understand your 401k. Understand your IRA and Roth IRA structures. Understand other tax vehicles that you can use to build wealth tax effectively. Understand the property markets. Understand lending and finance. Understand the share market. Not necessarily stock picking, but how to create low cost asset allocated portfolios using index funds and ETFs. And understand your surplus in your cash flow and how you allocate that surplus into the right assets that aren't being eroded by excessive fees and charges and are being locked away for many years that are going to have implications for you down the track. And it's all of these fundamental principles that once you understand, and we teach our clients this in less than 90 days that we then start working on building the money muscle memory, which is the hard part. Yeah. The problem is here that most people, like when we go to the gym, right? If you want to get fit and you go to the gym and you go up to the squat rack and you put 500 pounds of plates under the bar and you try and lift it, what's going to happen? You're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself, right? Yeah. And this is what most people do with their finances because of this fear of missing out. They're feeling like it's, they're falling behind. They go and they try and make up for lost time. Instead, when we're going to go, we go, maybe put, just work with the bar first, get your form right. Maybe put 10 pounds or 20 pounds on and then cool, get comfortable and then start adding weight progressively over time. And then it's this momentum and also the regular action that allows us to build this compounding and this magnification effect. And it's all about just getting on track for the right trajectory because there's never going to be one decision that you make that will skyrocket yourself to financial freedom for the vast majority of people. It is regular, repeated, consistent decisions that will get you there. Yeah, yeah. And your your uh, example about the uh, the workout thing, I, this over the last year and a half, I put on like 15 pounds of muscle and I've always been like a scrawny kid and never been able to do that. But I finally started working with a health coach. And I remember one of the the things that like we were doing a resistance training 
um and like it we got like four bands for like the resistance training for like the chest press and the uh the first band is like i don't know 30 pounds and it goes like 30 to like 100 and it goes from like 100 to 200 like 200 to like 350 or something like that it's it, it, they're it, they're pretty big jumps or whatever but i remember like when yeah. i first started i was like i could barely move the thing um and i was like how am i ever going to get to the point where i could move that big one because like the big one was it's like super fat like you know, huge resistance band like i couldn't even like like nothing there's i couldn't do, couldn't do anything I, if i tried i would break something um and i remember just like going through progressively you do you know every day you're doing for a week and like you're like you're significantly stronger at the end of a week with some of those things and i remember like like 12 weeks in to working with him and doing the the workouts i was able to move the biggest band on the thing and i'm like how could you ever imagine that that's how that would go down? <laughs> but gotcha. it is, it's like small, consistent effort. And it's the same kind of process with your finances, your business or anything else you want to grow. Is exactly right. It's the small, consistent effort grows muscle really quickly, whether that's your, your money muscles or your real muscles. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I want to talk then a little bit about your, the flip side of your common enemy. So your common enemy is what you fight against. Your um, driving force is what you fight for. Right. So just like uh, Spider-Man fights to save New York or, you know, Batman fights to save Gotham or, you know, Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it you fight for with your company? Yeah, my true purpose and my legacy that I want to leave behind in this world is changing the landscape of financial education globally for entrepreneurs. Because as we were talking about before, I believe that entrepreneurs and small business owners hold the keys to the future. And the problem is that for so many people, they are forced to have to dilute their values or pursue a career path just to put food on the table. And I personally believe that if we can empower business owners to create truly profitable businesses that allows them to amass enough wealth that creates true generational impact, and then they're able to create a system that they can pass on these values so then future generations can become financial stewards then those future generations can actually pursue their passions and solve some of the real problems that we're facing in this world that could be the difference between the continuation of our race for thousands of years to come. So if we can help people understand these things, create true generational wealth and pass over those values, not just the money, then that's the solution to us sticking around for the foreseeable future on this planet. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I, I, uh, that's, that's sort of my, my goal in life. And I, people ask me all the time, you know, we've got, we've got four kids. Um, and you know, people are like, well, you know, why do you have four kids? And I, I always tell people the, the reason you have four kids is because the greatest impact you can have on the world is, is raising your children up to be better than you were. Right. Um, and you know, that comes down to your finances and how you, you know, the values and everything that you pass on to them. Um, and I know that like, I'm in a better financial position than my dad was because he had the same sort of philosophy. And I'm hoping that, you know, I can do the same thing for my kids going forward. Um, and, you know, I, because of that, I serve more people in my business and my dad was able to serve as a, you know, as an employee in his, in his job, right. Serving just the one employer. Um, and I'm hoping my kids can do, you know, take that to the next level. Um, and you know, it's more, more value, right. You get paid in, you get paid commensurate to the value you produce. Exactly. Yeah. I really respect that. Mike. Yeah. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster, having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drive sales for your business. Doesn't have to be hard. 
I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now, back to The Hero Show. So I want to talk then a little bit about your own um, personal heroes, right? Every hero has their mentors, just like Frodo had Gandalf, you know, um, Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad, even Spider-Man had his Uncle Ben, unless you watch the newest movie, then it's Aunt May. Um, but, you know, who are some of your real life heroes? Um, were they uh, speakers, mentors, um, you know, authors, maybe uh, peers who are a couple years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in your career? Yeah, my first mentor, my first hero was my father. Um, my father endured a lot. Uh, he survived one of the biggest earthquakes in history in, in Chile in the, the early 50s. Uh, he survived the Pinochet fascist uh, uprising uh, in South America. Uh, he escaped to Australia as a political refugee. He, he worked incredibly hard and battled and fought for every opportunity he was given. And even though he had enjoyed so much hardship, he always approached the mentorship with me from a position of love uh, and a position of caring to enable me and equip me with the best possible lessons that would allow me to create what I've created now. Um, and his approach was very much do what I say, not what I do. Uh, it was very sacrificial, um, but I really respect him for that. And he's uh, provided me with all of the tools that have turned me into the man that I am today. So uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my dad. That's awesome. I am. I always, I always love hearing people's answers to that question because they vary so wildly from everything from parents to mentors to authors and stuff. And you realize that like, not everyone um, that you consider a hero would look at their own life and think, yeah, I'm a hero to other people. And so I always like that reminder just for myself to be the kind of person who's, who's worthy of being someone else's hero. Because you may not know who who on a podcast someone and they they're going to answer with your name, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd, I'd hope that that uh, I have the privilege of that one day. Um, but I yeah, I try and humble myself just to do what I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to talk then about um, you know as we sort of get to the end of this interview, your guiding principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Um, for instance, Batman never ever kills his enemies; he only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we uh, wrap up, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles that you live your life by. Maybe something that you wish you'd known when you started out in your own entrepreneurial career. Yeah, my my big one is live for today and plan for tomorrow. I think it embodies everything that I do, of having the three hundred and three-dimensional view, the 360-degree view on life and business. Um, we shouldn't have to live with compromise. So if we can consider what we need to live for today 
and also have excess means to plan for tomorrow, then that is a, a great thing to strive for. And I, am, I couple that with enjoy the journey. It's the title of my first best-selling book. Uh, and I think so many of us are so focused on achieving the next thing, the constant pursuit of extra, that we realize that we have enough now. And we don't take the time to be grateful for everything that we have and the opportunities that we have because so many of us are blessed in so many ways. So uh, learn to enjoy the journey because it's the best part. Yeah, I, I, I really resonate with both of those. The enjoy the journey one particularly is something that I have, um, I've, I want more and more people to understand because you realize, especially when you've done as much as like you and I have done, you realize that it's not actually the accomplishing of the things that gives you the joy, like getting the stuff or hitting the goal. It's, it's who you become along the way. Right. Yeah. It's, and, and, and it's not just the good stuff either. Right. It's the, you know, like for me, like crying on the side of the road with a, uh, a broken down RV because of something that, you know, went wrong, um, you know, coupled with also, you know, jumping off of waterfalls with your kids. Right. Like we've, we've done both, like sometimes in the same week. Um, and I call that the, uh, the texture and contrast of life. Right. And you, you realize that like a lot of people are striving for like keeping their life median. Um, and if you actually strive for things, you get the ups and the downs and you have a far more enjoyable life. And it's the journey that's more exciting than the goal. I love that so much. Yeah. It's that contrast of experience that makes life so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing, you know, I, you, the whole live for today, plan for tomorrow. You said something earlier that I didn't, I didn't pick up on, but I wanted to mention, you said, said the, the surplus, right? You have to have surplus in your business. Um, and it, it was interesting because you're talking about planning for surplus. And I, I think a lot of people don't actually, because they don't have a plan. And I know like I have, I've had the same problem is like, you make more money, you don't look at it as surplus. You just like, oh, I've got money. I can take that and put it into things, right? Like, you know, sometimes yeah. it's, you just grow your lifestyle to fit whatever the income you have is. So you don't ever actually have surplus <laughs> because you didn't plan to have it. Um, so you don't, you're not actually ever taking your surplus and putting it into the plans that you were talking about, the planning for the future. Um, and so anyways, I thought it was a really fascinating way to look at, at having that is, is planning to have surplus so important and it's that phenomenon of the cash flow creep it's good old parkinson's law playing out again which is why in the book richest men in babylon they say you've got to pay yourself first and um, we presuppose the surplus and we live and function on what is left it's the way to go yeah absolutely um I, that's the same concept they teach in the uh, profit first books as well yes. yeah um, which is something i'm about halfway through getting implemented in my business hopefully it'll uh, make a big big impact um, I had a, a friend of mine who's running a, a pool company and they just sold it for a couple million bucks. And I like going through and like just listening to them on like growing their business. They, they implemented that profit first strategy and within three months doubled the profitability of their business. Yeah. Which is insane because they're like, we didn't change anything else. They changed nothing else in their business. They didn't have any more customers. They didn't change any of their marketing. They didn't change any of their service delivery. They just changed to a profit first model and doubled the profitability of their business. <laughs> yeah, we love the, the methodology. Look, if your business is a cash eating monster, it's not necessarily gonna be your saving grace. So we couple it with understanding the seven levers of how do we actually drive top line revenue whilst having a financial operating system that controls that cash flow creep? And if we can do those two things together, those two things married is 
is a match made in heaven. So uh, I'm sure we can talk about that in a separate conversation. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll leave the listeners hanging. So, so the, uh, I think that's a good place to wrap our interview. Maybe we'll have to come back and talk about that. But I want to, I finish every interview with something I call a hero's challenge. And I do this to really find access to stories that I might not otherwise find because not everyone is out trying to do the podcast rounds like you and I do. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story here with us on the Hero Show? First person that comes to mind for you. I've got a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Dan Henderson. Uh, he's an absolute phenom in the, the fitness professional space and the gym space, helping gym owners really uh, understand the the, the the framework that they need to be able to grow on scale. Uh, phenomenal human being, a really lovely guy. And I think he'd be able to add a lot of value through his Hero Story to your podcast. Awesome. Thank you for that. We'll uh, reach out later to see if we can get an introduction to, uh, to him. Um, so in comic books, there's always the, uh, the crowd of people who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism at the end. Um, so our analogous to that is where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, you know, I'd love to have your um, help growing my company, right? So uh, I think, and more importantly than, than where can they reach you is who are the right types of people to raise their hand and actually light the bat signal? Yes. So our ideal clients who we can add the most value to are multi six figure and seven figure service businesses who have got to a point where they realize that they've spent so much time reinvesting back in their business that they want to start taking chips off the table and getting financially fit. And um, so if that sounds like you, then feel free to reach out. Feel free to search me on so social media. Facebook is the place to find me, Jackson Milan, uh, and you'll find me there. Uh, we've also got a resource that we want to share. So if you go to the URL, Wealth Health Check com.au that's wealthhealthcheck.com.au and we've got a 40 point financial performance scorecard that we've worked out the top 40 things that get in the way for service businesses creating true financial freedom the average score is about 18 out of 40 which means that most business owners are below average financially which is probably no surprise it'll take you about five minutes to do but what it will do is it'll help you turn the lights on financially for the opportunities and the low-hanging fruit that you are leaving on the table that you can use to improve your financial outlook very, very quickly. And uh, that will also help you get connected with us and have a conversation if uh, we can help you in a higher capacity. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today, Jackson. I have uh, very much enjoyed our conversation and I've learned a bunch from it myself. So uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience for hit this uh, stop record button? I just remember that a good idea in theory remains exactly that, just a good idea until you put it into practice. So take fierce action and uh, I look forward to seeing your results. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jackson. I appreciate you being here. My pleasure.